0: Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by SuperValue Insurance, offering sound advice for your car, home, and travel insurance needs. But look, there are things you might know about Sandy Kelly, country music singer extraordinaire. She represented Ireland in the Eurovision. She duetted with Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings. She brought the songs of Patsy Cline to new audiences all over Ireland and the UK. But there's a lot more to Sandy Kelly that's worth telling. And that's what she does in her latest book, Sandy Kelly, In My Own Words, and in her new album, Leaving It All Behind. And Sandy Kelly, good morning and welcome to studio this morning. Good morning, Miriam. Thank you for the invite. It's lovely to be here. Thanks. I loved your book. I have it beside me. And we spoke before on this show about your sister, Barbara. We'll do so again today. But I want to start with your extraordinary upbringing. Tell me about your granddad, Dusky Dan, (laughs) and the kind of showman he was. Well, he was a very tough taskmaster.
1: And um, I suppose I was blessed to have been brought up in that environment because when people ask me how I decided to be in show business, I laugh really because I wasn't in a cot in the caravan. I was in a drawer because they couldn't afford a cot and if they needed a baby for a play or a sketch or something I was snatched from the drawer and brought out onto the stage but my earliest memories would be from the age of three I can remember from three years of age singing every night Uh, my grandfather would Uh, take great pride in teaching me how to tap dance and sing. Uh, If they they needed a child I'd be in the play and I also assisted my uncle who was a magician and a hypnotist.
0: So I was like a sponge really. Children are like sponges. So what a great way to learn my craft really. From the age three, it was amazing. But he, your granddad, is this right? He met your grandmother in Belfast. Mm -hmm. He was a Protestant. He -hmm. was 20 years older. He was married. She was a Catholic with an incredible voice and they eloped. They eloped and
1: um, I found out much later in life that he was already married with the family and I suppose, um, as you said, she was 16 and because they eloped across the border back then that, you know, they could never be found. And years later I was singing in the Ulster Hall uh, after I had my TV series and stuff and Some cousins arrived, Maggie's, my my granny's cousins, and they brought some photographs of her. And they were asking me all those years later, what happened to her? And only then I was able to tell her where her grave was in Kilkenny, in Clara, outside Kilkenny, and what had happened to her. And, you know, she died in her 50s. She'd had eight children. Um, He had promised her stardom and that she would sing on the stages of the world. But she ended up in a small caravan with eight children and a very tough life, really.
0: Where did your
1: mum and dad meet? Oh, gosh. Much to to my grandmother's dismay, um, Dusky Dan's Roadshow rolled into Ballintor in County Sligo. And that was a great thing, of course. The posters would go up. People didn't have television. And so if the show was coming to town, that was very glamorous. So the show came to town and the man who owned the ball alley, the local ball alley, Mel Lane was his name, um, he got two free tickets for every show giving them the ball, alley. Yeah. And my mother was his best friend. And my mother, even though I say so myself, was a very pretty woman. And of course, her mel-, mel and herself had front seats every night. My dad threw the glad eye on her. She didn't object. And they met up every night after the show. And my grandmother, although she was poor herself, was absolutely mortified that my mother was seeing the showman and uh, uh, talking about going away with the show crowd as she used to call it. And my grandmother, to the day she died, she was 106 when she died. She <sighs> never forgave my father for marrying my mother. And I think when I went to live with her as at almost nine years of age uh, to go to school, she thought I had bad blood in me too. So she did her best to, to make a real person out of me as well and knock the singing and the show business out of me.
0: How did your own mum adapt to life on the road? I mean, I know you were living in very small, simple wooden caravans. You didn't really have much, did you, No, it was a very
1: small space. Everybody made their own caravan. I remember my father making uh, a caravan when we were sort of upgrading. And um, my mother had to adapt because if, first of all, Dusky Down, my grandfather was not pleased either that my father married uh, a civilian, if you like, because they were expected to marry within their own culture, Mm. so that somebody could bring something to the show. And my mother had to learn very quick to be part of the show. So she sang, she learned how to sing, and she played clarinet not very well. And she would take, because she was pretty, she would go on stage for the chorus and take part in plays and stuff like that. But you had to, everybody had to earn their crust
0: if you were on the show. Did you go to school? I mean, you said to me earlier, like you were singing from the age of three. I mean. Did you go to school? What did the other children make of you? What was that like? My mother taught my mother had a you know national school education, and of course you know she was
1: bright she could read write, and she was you know fairly well educated for that time mm. and so she taught me every day so in in that respect, I could read and write. I stood beside my grandfather on the door so I could count money at a very early age um but when we could, I used to go to school in each particular town we were. And what did people make of me? They expected me to entertain them. I would arrive at the school and straight away, uh, much as I still do today, uh, my way of getting along with people was to entertain them,
0: even at that age. And that's what I did, sing and dance. You also say in the book that you never really felt that sense of belonging. Do you think that was because, Sandy, of the constant travelling? Was there a bit of snobbery about you being show people as such, do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we led a nomadic life and, you know, for the most part, when you, here's my memory of it. Mm. When I was on the stage as a child, I would look down at a sea of smiling faces and clapping hands and adoration, you know, with this cute girl um, singing and dancing. But when you weren't on the stage, if you went to the local shop, you know, in a particular town, or you were the, the show people or you were mm. the show girl, or the showman's daughter, which was something I used to hear, you know. And I remember when I went to live in Ballantore, I used to, you'd hear like, oh, she's a showman's daughter. You know, and I never quite knew Mm. what to make of that. And I remember going to my grandmother. She had a trunk that she brought back from America that she'd dare not even go near. And so she was in town one day and I went into the trunk to look for my birth certificate. It was weird at a young age, nine years of age and I found it and it said my name and details of when I was born and father's occupation, showman. And then in that breath, I was able to make sense of it. I was the showman's daughter. And from then on in, I was very proud of it. And even here in RTE, yeah. just the night before my series went out, do you remember when I used yeah. to have my own series? They made a documentary, Ian McGarry, who sadly passed away. I'm sure you knew We Lovely Ian. Yeah. And Ian did a documentary with Shay Hennessy and himself and Kieran Cavanagh. And they asked me here, what would I like to call the documentary? And I said, well, I'd like to call it The Showman's Daughter. Because it's a culture I'm very proud of.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: But not everybody was, as you say. There was an element of some people who would look down upon it and look down upon me, really. But that either makes you a victim or an achiever. And I think it made me an
0: achiever, you know. Absolutely. Now, your brother, Francis, I think he died in infancy. Mm -hmm. Your sister, Barbara, was eight years younger than you and your mum got sick then. Your life changed utterly, didn't it then? Yeah, my mum was a very
1: bright, bubbly, funny person. And so thankfully, you know, I remember her as that because I was 16 when, when she had the brain hemorrhage, 14 when she became ill and we didn't know what was wrong with it. We were living in Ballymote uh, in dire, if you read the book, Mm, in dire circumstances, horrible. Um, So she became ill and we moved to Wales um, because the family were there, the show had split up and the brothers and sisters were there. And she had a brain hemorrhage and she went from being one person, she went into hospital, this bright bubbly, my best buddy. Mm. You know, I'm now 15 and I was singing in the clubs in England and she would come with me and she was my biggest fan. Uh, to this person who really didn't know who she was didn't know who we were and we thought we were doing the right thing by bringing her no we were still living in a caravan bringing her home and looking after her you know there was no social services no social worker so at age uh, 15, 16 I was now rearing my sister Barbara singing at night in the clubs because we needed the money and, and minding and my mom during the day who, who became very difficult and um, you know she couldn't help it, but she, she, she wasn't a very nice person when, when she became ill. And that went on. We moved back to Ireland when I was 19. That went on for eight years. We, looked, we kept her at home for eight years. And um, it was just devastating. Our whole lives became about um, surviving, you know, financially and paying bills and, you know, looking after my sister Barbara um, and minding my mum, which was, but every cloud is a silver lining it really taught me
0: some great life lessons for what was to come with my own daughter, Barbara. And tell our listeners, since you've mentioned Barbara, so, and then we get into the bands, because you went on and you met a nice guy called Mike Kelly. You're not still together, but Barbara, you had a son and a daughter, didn't you? <coughs> and tell us about Barbara. Well, uh, William was born in first, we married Mike in 77,
1: William was born in 79. Uh, My mum passed away um, in 79, uh, maybe four or five months after William was born. And then two years later, my daughter Barbara was born. And coincidentally, um, Barbara had um, a cyst on her brain, Mm -hmm. totally different. My mum had a clot on her brain. So Barbara was born with a cyst on her brain, which wasn't diagnosed till she was maybe eight weeks old. I had a path worn to the hospital. I was an over-anxious mother. There was nothing wrong with my baby and blah blah, blah. And I knew there was something wrong because as I just said to you, from, from the things I had seen in my mother and my mother's symptoms, I knew that m- my baby was having convulsions mm. and that she was having seizures. Um, she was blowing little bubbles and her eyes were flickering. And I wouldn't have known that had I not had the experience of looking after my mum. Mm -hmm. And what way would Barbara have ended up then? You know, she would have had more brain damage. Um, So she had a cyst which was growing and she ended up then in um, the Richmond, the old Richmond hospital, Mm -hmm. and she had surgery. Uh, I remember walking up the very same corridor as I had done two years previous with my mum when she had her last surgery. And um, I remember thinking, God, you know... uh, Mm But you get the strength from somewhere. You have this inner strength um, that carries you through, especially when it's your own child.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, you don't think about yourself. And, and that's kind of the way it's been with Barbara. And sometimes miracles hide. We were told back then she might not walk, she might not talk. Um, there again, there was no social services, no social workers. But you know what? She's been a gift to us mm-hmm. because she made us, when you have a child with special needs, you're a different family and your priorities in life are different. You know, you don't sweat the small things.
0: Yeah, no, it's beautiful. You write beautifully in the book about her, actually. And, and and But you acknowledge at the same time that it's not easy. In other words, miracles hide, but it's still tough. It is.
1: I mean, there's, the positive side of it is, as I said, it made us a different family with a different set of values, which I think is a good thing. Mm. But then the challenges are that as her mother, I would like for her the same opportunities as every other mother for their daughter. Mm -hmm. I would like her, you know, to be married and have children and have the same, you know, the same things in life as everybody else. That's not possible. So you park that up and the challenges are um, with special needs, the worry, first of all, of what's going to happen when I'm not here anymore, Mm -hmm. of her life moving on. Also, um, the challenges that come with her behaviour. She's the most loving person in the world, but boy, is she! Can she be trouble sometimes? You know, and it's like she's forty-two now, but um, it's like having a two-year-old and a forty-two-year-old body. I hope she's not listening to this program. <laughs> I'm, I'm in big trouble.
0: <laughs> <laughs> She'll be cross when you get home. Oh my gosh! <laughs> she,
1: and you know, she never misses anything. You know, yeah. she, she's on Facebook. She's hilarious. But that's the other thing, though. She's hilarious. Absolutely, everybody loves
0: her. Like she's just yeah. she's <laughs> hilarious. Which is one. Of, now you had this extraordinary career. I mean, early on, of course, you took over from Bonnie Tyler in a band, but then you got to know Johnny Cash really well didn't you, and his wife June. And interesting, you say there was always a slight air of loneliness about him, Sandy. Why was that, do you think?:
1: I think fame, you know, can you even imagine he was like Elvis? And, and you know, he couldn't go anywhere or do it. And, he, you know, in his own private time, he was just a normal, regular, humble, easy-living person that would, when we were on the tour bus, you know, you'd see him just walking down. First of all, you'd see him in the front of the tour bus and you'd see his arm reaching up into the air with a needle and thread. His pastime was to sew and he'd collect military buttons and... Uh, badges and stuff like that. And he'd be sewing them on a hat or a a coat or something. And he sat once on the left-hand side, June sat on the right-hand side. And then you'd see him walking to the back of the bus making a big, sort of crude-looking sandwich. So he was just a regular person that liked a regular, easy life. But he couldn't live like that because he was so famous. And so I got the feeling, if I was across the room looking at him and he was by himself that there was a loneliness about him where he longed to just be like everybody else and walk down Grafton Street or walk down Nashville, go to the pub, you know, just be like everybody else. And he could never be like that. He always he would always be Johnny Cash.
0: So it was was that, I I think, really. Of course, the songs of Patsy Cline never failed you. You got to know a lot about her through her family and friends. What an incredible voice. And actually, we'll take a clip. We have a little clip of you Singing Crazy, the beautiful Patsy Klein song. Let's just have a little listen to you now, Sandy. Crazy. that strikes me in the book and you have a beautiful voice there Sandy several times you bring up the mantra you know the show must go on but it's not necessarily it's always a good thing is it because it can be a bit of a tyranny too is that your message like it must go on and yet there's a downside to that there's
1: a downside to it I must credit Shay Hennessy for that song uh, for dragging me into the studio because but for Shay Hennessy who's still uh, uh, my record executive Fantastic. and my best one of my best friends I would never have sang a Patsy Cline song so thank you Shay.
0: Why? Was it just I wanted to be cool I wanted to be oh. Linda
1: Ronstad <laughs> and uh, Emily Harris, and I, I loved Patsy Cline but I didn't see it as cool at the time because I don't know I haven't a clue when it comes to good songs to be honest but yeah I, there's an element of the show must go on and that was installed in me by my grandfather from that early age that Mm. you don't go on stage and I don't think I've ever gone on stage and complained about having a cough or a cold or somebody dying. I always do my show, Mm. never ever bring it on the stage and that was installed in me years ago. But there is a little bit of resentment in me sometimes when when I have to go on stage and I'm bringing grief with me or I'm, You know, there's something happening at home, like Barbara could be in hospital Mm. and I could be going from the show to a chair beside her bed and you can't bring that on stage. So sometimes I I resent being on stage, but no matter how bad I feel going on the stage, see, when you walk off, and I'm not just saying this, you feel so much better Mm. because of the connection with the people. And so there's a huge part of me that's completely at home when I'm in front of an audience. Even though I'm nervous before I go out and I don't want to do it, and I'm going, oh my God, they might hate me. When I'm out there, I'm at home. And that's, that's, it's a wonderful feeling.
0: Lovely messages for you. I'll just bring you one. Anna May he says, I've just finished Sandy's book. It's beautifully written, so honest, showing how genuine she is. Her decency came to the fore on lots of occasions when she needed to be strong. I've met her a few times. So nice to that. She's lovely. Stay well. I obviously Thank spoke you. to you before on this programme about your sister, Barbara. She took her own life five years ago. Did writing about that help you in the book? No. No? No. Before I wrote the book, um,
1: my son, William, made me write this book. I didn't want to, And uh, sadly, Michael O'Brien from O'Brien Press uh, with my son, they encouraged me to write the book. I didn't want to write the book at all, uh, but I'm glad I did. Um, no, if, if people said, you know, when you write the book, you're going to you put it on paper, you're going to get it out of your head. As of yet, that hasn't happened. I think I've turned a corner. I think I've turned a corner, but I'm not there yet. Because as I've said in the book, grief never leaves you and when somebody you know takes their own life you don't ever get the answers about that never you can never make sense there's so many what ifs what if I'd done this what if she'd done that and um, I wish I could there are no answers Um And we'll never have them. And my niece, Sandy, my sister's daughter, um, I'm blessed to have her in my life because we talk to each other all the time about Sandy's mum, my sister. Which is lovely. Which is fantastic. And we can be totally honest. And and when I wrote the book, I did decide to be 1000% honest as I am on the album. The songs on the album reflect where I am in my life now. Leaving it all behind, yeah, which, which is, is time, yeah. And also the songs um reflect different messages and chapters in the book. So going back to make that album was difficult as well to sing those songs. But I left the studio feeling unshackled somewhat.
0: And it's a great album. We're actually going to go out. List. First of all, your book is called Sandy Kelly in My Own Words. It's published by O'Brien Press. And the album is called Leaving It All Behind. Very brief. you want to mention some gigs? Yes. I'll I'm be killed. Go
1: quick. I'm <laughs> doing my first um, concert tour in March, all over Ireland. The 11th of March, the concert hall, Dublin. I'll be in the Everyman in Cork. I'll be all over Ireland. SandyKellyMusic.com. You'll get all the dates. There.
0: Thank you so much, Sally. This is dedicated for your grandson. This is a little of How Long Will I Love You?
1: Frank Huhan.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you.